Bravada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, we, before we get back with Roger Conrad here, I do want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show. They are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil, uh, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. Well, Roger, before we went to break, uh, I was sort of thinking of asking you this question, and we ran out of time. I noticed that uh, some of the names you just mentioned are sort of, uh, well, I think, pipeline companies or limited partnerships. And back in uh, a long time ago now, it seems doesn't seem that long ago to me as an old guy, but Ronald Reagan was able to uh, to get some legislation through that really gave a break uh, to partnership, uh, uh, publicly traded companies that are partnerships, in essence. Talk to us about that, and, and that was a long time ago. Is that legislation still in place, I guess, right? It's in place with a few modifications, but uh, basically since, uh, I guess, the early part of the last decade, we've seen an explosion in 
um, master limited partnerships and companies organizing around that principle of basically uh, passing the organizing in such a way where they pass cash flow directly to shareholders as distributions rather than uh, paying uh, uh, corporate tax before they pay it out as a dividend. So it's it's been a pretty successful uh, program, and it's I think it's spurred a lot of investment in uh, energy midstream. And we talked about a couple of the companies, uh, Enterprise, Buckeye Partners, Energy Transfer Partners. They're definitely uh, very much tapped into that. Is there a danger, though, uh, given the uh, sort of anti, well, let's say, is there a political danger for those uh, for those entities? Might we see, in order to try to close the gap and raise revenues for the government, uh, a take away from from those kind of investments or, or, or getting rid of that special tax advantage? Well, you know, it wouldn't be unprecedented. In fact, uh, you know, a number of MLPs were were shut down in the 1980s when they uh, did tax reform. So that there were there used to be a number of uh partnerships that were just they basically would throw together any kind of bunch of assets and uh slap a yield on it and sell it that way and those pretty much all went away then also a lot of people remember the Canadian trust uh, income trust sure uh, when the tax was announced on that right i mean if you'd stuck around and held the, the better run companies uh there you would have done pretty well over the over the succeeding uh, 4 or 5 years uh, but a lot of people didn't give it that much time they basically sold and locked in uh, some some pretty severe losses. So, you know, it's not unprecedented. I think one thing that makes it less likely to happen here is just the fact that even if you did tax them uh, all as corporations, you'd, you'd garner about three hundred million dollars for the treasury. So, and that's millions, not uh, not billions. Yeah. Um, you know, the market cap of the Alarian uh, Index of the fifty largest MLPs, uh, the market cap is uh, only around half of what Exxon Mobil's uh, market cap is. So. You know, it's it's a pretty small part of the universe as compared to, um, you know, if you look back at, uh, uh, at at the income trusts, which were almost 20% of that market uh, at the time when they announced the, the tax. So it's, um, I think that makes it a little less likely. There also are some political, uh, um, I guess, pluses of keeping them around. One being the fact that uh, you know they, these companies are building so much infrastructure and it's getting. U.S. oil and U.S. gas to market that is pretty much locked up right now. And doing away with them would, uh, I think, do away with some of the bigger players that are building all this stuff. And then uh, there's also, it's also been circulated, it's in both a couple of bills in Congress actually right now, uh, to extend MLP status to renewable energy. So that's, that would be one way to um, uh, support renewable energy and maybe do away with the direct subsidies that uh, are in place now or uh, or, or in some 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 uh, way, shape, or form. So um, you know, it's definitely possible, and I think that's why you don't want to put all your money into any one group of stocks, even the MLPs, if which would be more attractive if tax rates did go up. But um, I think uh, I think I think it is less likely. And again, I, the the example of the Canadian Income Trust tells us if you're if you're doing some smart shopping, if you're buying good companies, uh, they figure out how to uh, make money. No matter how they're taxed, and uh, in fact, uh, one little-known fact about the Canadian Trust uh, that uh, converted uh, roughly five dozen of them were able to convert without cutting their distribution. So they just absorbed the taxes, kept paying the the dividends at the same rate, and um, uh, in fact, in many cases, have increased them. So um, again, good companies find ways to make money even when uh, even when tax the tax situation changes, and that's. While we're on this point, even while I think uh, it's very unlikely we'll see a tax, uh, that's really where you want to focus. It's another reason to focus on quality. 
Absolutely. You know, Gene, you mentioned a little while ago, I think in the other uh, section of, uh, of our discussion uh, before the break, uh, that people don't necessarily need to rely on professionals like you. They can do their own work. Well, yes, they can, uh, but it is work, and uh, I think it's. Uh, I, I think people would be highly advised to, to pay attention to what you're writing and subscribe to your letter because it's not all that expensive. That's just a plug I'll put in for you because that's what I believe. I want to ask you about fracking, the fracking revolution. Uh, how big is that? in North America right now? It's huge. I mean, it's where all the oil that we're seeing uh, is coming from. It's where all the, you know, the, the gas has been coming from. So, uh, and it's, you know, not only in the United States where we have the Eagle Ford shales, probably the, the most recent thing, and Marcellus is expanding in, in, uh, in northeast, and then you got uh, the Utica shale a little bit further west from that. Uh, but also up in Canada, there's some tremendous finds, and uh, um, they're those are being developed as well. So, you know, this is this is where the energy is uh, going to be coming from in North America. It's what's uh, going to make the make I guess us a uh, a net oil uh, exporter um, mm-hmm. in the next sometime in the next twenty years. Mm-hmm. Well, natural gas prices are pitifully low right now, uh, but I guess the pipelines uh, pass those uh, oil and gas through them no matter what the prices are, right? So you, is the pipeline right. a better way to play, uh, a more secure, safe way to play the energy sector? I think so. I, you know, it's, it's a play on, on demand rather than, uh, uh, than pricing. And, uh, you know, a lot of these contracts that are signed are uh, take or pay or capacity-based. So they get their money even if the, the uh, producer or shipper isn't sending anything through. I just want to say one more thing about pipelines. I think there will be a, eventually an overbuild in this market, just like there is in every mm-hmm. uh, cycle. But, um, you know, it's going to happen when companies start building pipelines with the idea that, that uh, users will come. Uh, you know, one thing that's kind of distinguished this rally or this, this boom in, in these uh, assets so far is the fact that um, companies have, have insisted on getting contracts before they start uh, with projects. In fact, uh, there's a lot of collaboration between uh, developers of infrastructure and their and their customers as to what's needed. So, um, you know, it's it's pretty much uh, um, it, it has there's a level of, of security there that that uh, um, exists even if uh, in, you know the, the environment slows down. I think 2008 was is a big reason why we still have that. But eventually there will be a a build and they will come. Uh, mentality, and I think at that point uh, we'll see a top. That's what you want to look for: is the builder build it, and they will come. Attitude. Now we have, of course, the other problem. I would I would suggest now with this huge increase of uh, oil and, and gas from fracking. Uh, you know, the the Keystone pipeline was turned down by Obama supposedly. Where does that stand now? Because we need that oil, uh, and we need that oil and gas at other parts uh, throughout the country. Uh, indeed, I'm hearing already of some uh, positive developments in my home state of Ohio, where uh, in Canada, in in, um, in Canton and Youngstown, they're building you know, steel mills have been revved up to build pipeline or casing, I guess, for for the for this industry. But uh, what, the Keystone Pipeline is that going to go through? Well, I, you know, I, I think it will. I think uh, it it was pretty much going through before the uh, uh, until we got into the election year, and then it became pretty evident that. Uh, there were competing interests within the Democratic Party uh, constituency for, uh, in other words, uh, you know, labor unions on one side and environmentalists on the other. And uh, so it sort of became a political football. Um, you know, they have started building the southern leg of the pipeline, so uh, 
Um, it, the only the only thing that's in in dispute is what might you know is the northern leg of it. They worked out some of the problems that they had uh, in, in, st- in the state of Nebraska. Uh, so it looks like it's continuing to move forward. I would just say though that even if um, Keystone, you know that 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 we didn't get that oil sands tie going south. Uh, Canada's got a couple of other options, and one is, um, you know, shipping that oil eastward, which would actually help their industry. Um, and in some of the places like Ontario, we're seeing uh, uh, pipelines that had been uh, shipping oil one direction are now shipping it from west to east, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a possibility. Also, there's the Northern Gateway pipeline, which uh, Enbridge is building. Um, and uh, that would, of course, go to the Pacific and ship oil, uh, uh, tar sands oil out to Asia. So they, there are other options out there. I think Keystone will probably get built, though. Um, one nice thing about the, the primary builder, which is TransCanada, is that they have about $13 billion of other um, infrastructure projects ongoing throughout North America that are fee-based as well. So um, even if the northern leg of Keystone doesn't get built, they've got plenty of uh, – Avenues to increasing uh, cash flow, so you can uh, and and dividends, so you can uh, you know get a play on key, you can get the direct play on Keystone um, without taking much risk at all. What is what sort of yields is TransCanada providing these days? Well, TransCanada, you know, of course they pay in Canadian dollars. Uh, they yeah. yield about uh, around four percent mm-hmm. um, right now, so not it's not a huge yield, but um, pretty solid. And they they've been increasing that about four percent a year too. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's more of a conservative type play. Another co- another company uh, investors may want to take a look at would be Pimbina Pipeline, and that's actually a Canadian company, and it trades New York. It's PBA, uh, Paul Barry Alfred, and uh, that one yields around six percent, and they've they've been increasing their dividend you know, four to five percent a year. So, and they pay you in Canadian dollars. Uh, it's it's a monthly dividend, uh, which I think is always a, a you know a really nice thing, and. Uh, one of the things that makes Canada kind of unique um, in that, uh, you know, you do get dividends that, that frequently. I'd like to see it catch on more in the U.S., but um, that's another way. They, they do have an, a number of smaller projects, and they're more or less linking oil sands uh, companies together. They have the contract for Syncrude, um, which is uh, a lot of people know is Canadian oil sands. That's the, tra- the trading stock for it, but it's a huge project run by ExxonMobil, and Pimbina is very t- tapped into it with uh, capacity-based contracts uh, and they have they also have some other infrastructure they basically build it and uh, as they do they it goes right into cash yeah uh, we are almost out of time I've got less than two minutes left I want to ask you though you are kind of uh, big I believe on investing in Canada and in Australia is this uh, simply for diversification purposes, or do you see those currencies as being stronger or, or pro- providing some protection against potentially a weak dollar? Yeah, I think they're a very good, uh, a very good way to hedge yourself against the dollar going down. Again, I don't think that'll happen until we see resolution of the fiscal cliff and growth start picking up here. But at some point, the risk on is going to take place, and you know people are going to start looking outside the dollar. I think uh, you know Canadian dollar, Australian dollar. Two places where they'll be looking because there's a great deal of resource wealth there, uh, and those currencies tend to to uh, keep pace with resource prices. So it's a nice way to, um, you know, for income investors particularly to hedge their portfolios against the possibility of a dollar decline and and uh, more inflation. Roger, we uh, we are just uh, just about out of time here. I want you to tell our listeners where they can uh, follow your work and and sign up for your various newsletters. 
Well, a couple of one place to go would be investingdaily.com, uh, and that would have uh, a, a number of. That's, there's a lot of free content there. There's also uh, links and ways to get a hold of uh, the advisory services that I do. And again, that's just investingdaily.com. Uh, so that's and um, and if you'd like to, a copy of one, a utility forecaster, you can call in at eight hundred eight three two two three three zero. And one more time, that's eight hundred eight three two two three three zero. I would highly recommend uh, listeners that you do that if you're interested in income-producing stocks, because Roger has had an enviable track record in picking them, and he's also had uh, been deemed the number one newsletter by Halbert. And uh, as a newsletter writer myself, I can say that that is an envious distinction. Uh, very good. Thank you very much, Roger, for being with us uh, once again. We're going to have to have you back again sometime in the near future. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right Thanks, back Jay. with Gene Epstein of Barron's. He's going to talk about the fiscal cliff and how he thinks things will come out in that regard. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters Provada gold corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in nevada's well-known gold trends its flagship wind mountain gold silver project is 100 percent owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012 this past september bravada signed an agreement with argonaut gold to further explore and develop wind mountain for further information please visit bravadagold.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again Gene Epstein. He uh, writes the Economic Beat column for Barron's. 
Uh, and so welcome, Gene. Good to have you back. Good to be back. I, uh, I, you know, your last uh, column, I thought, this past weekend was really interesting. Of course, it's an interesting topic right now. It's one that we're hearing. I don't know how many times a day I hear the word, uh, the term fiscal cliff uh, mm-hmm. spoken about in the financial press. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're, I take it from your article here that you're really believing it's just another example of kicking the can down the road. You don't think anything is going to really be dealt with, right? Well, uh I think that what uh, the real question about what needs to be dealt with is uh, is the Ponzi economy, the government created Ponzi economy, which is that uh, clearly that uh, politicians like to spend money in the short run and defer uh, the payment uh, in the long run, and that's the reason why the the, the debt and the deficits are potentially going to crush the U.S. economy. But uh, the fiscal cliff, which uh, I think is misnamed, it's really a tax shock, is a peculiar situation, a confluence of various factors uh, that are going to change very quickly in January. The tax shock consists of three main elements, which is that uh, the Bush tax cuts across the board are going to expire, and so that's going to be a huge a couple hundred billion dollar jump in the tax take if nothing is done um, next year. Uh, secondly, uh, the patch, this complicated question of the patch on the on what's called the alternative alternative minimum tax mm-hmm. has expired. There's going to be a huge jump in taxes paid by middle income people if nothing is done. And thirdly, the payroll tax holiday, which is worth over a hundred billion a year, is also going to come to an end. Those are the three main factors that are going to mean that. Uh, that the tax jump, the tax shock, will consist of about 2.7% of GDP. Nothing like that has happened since 1969, in fact. Uh, in 1969, uh, there was a jump of about 2.1%, and a recession followed later that year. Nothing like that has happened, however, from the, in the last 40 years. Uh, that kind of tax shock, it's all uh, due to the miscalculations of government. Now, I believe that that's the sort of thing politicians can understand, that kind of disruption of the economy is the sort of thing they can understand, and so they will probably postpone all of those things. The payroll tax holiday, as a matter of fact, uh, Obama administration wasn't especially in favor of continuing it, but probably, at least the the, the, the story is that uh, a lot of uh, people are, uh, are lobbying Congress to continue that as well. So they will probably kick that can down the road. They will delay uh, the tax hikes, and in a sense, that's a good thing. Uh, but the real question, of course, is what will be done to uh, to unwind the tax shock. In other words, if they kick it down the road another six months, what do you do when the shock starts again? Uh, I, I'm all in favor, of course, of lower spending, lower taxes. I believe it's fairly clear there's plenty of low-hanging fruit in the federal budget. There's the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Congress, the the Commerce, rather, the Department of Energy, uh, all of the Department of Education, all of those institutions can pretty much uh, be abolished root and branch just for starters. Uh, and uh, clearly, we could have lower spending and lower taxes across the board for everyone. Now, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the basic problem is that while they'll, they'll solve the fiscal, the tax shock in the short run, it's, it, I will be astonished if they're really 
going to address uh, the sort of thing the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office continually warns about, that essentially we're on an unsustainable course, uh, that eventually uh, this is not going to work. Now, by the way, I, I will say that the numbers could work if only the Obama administration would be honest about one thing. In order to pay, to pay for Obama's vision um, of the role of the U.S. government, everyone across the board has got to pay more. Um, those people that Obama rails against, even those people who are not billionaires and millionaires, um, who have, whose brackets start at 200000 for an individual and 250000 for a couple, uh, the amount of money you can get from them is, 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 is significant, but it's minor as a part of the, of, the, of the larger part of the story, larger part of what has to be raised in order uh, to close the deficit and avoid the looming debt. If we want a society in which fifty um, percent of uh, of the of the economy goes to the government, then that you know we're not going to starve. Uh, we can do it. I I believe it's a dreadful idea. However, um, it's doable. Um, if only Obama were honest enough to say everybody's got to bleed, everybody's got to pay up, including the middle class. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, if you were saying that Obama's against the holiday uh, tax extension uh, for well, payroll taxes, you would think if he's for the middle class, that would yeah. be one he would be most in favor of. Well, you know, it's a great irony, the payroll tax extension, why he's probably against it is because, you know, it's, it's making the, the so-called Social Security Trust Fund look bad. It's making this, the, the, uh, the, the, the whole entitlement system look a little bit weak. It's been an embarrassment for that reason. Uh, but in, so, uh, the, the OMB, uh, his, you know, his Office of Management and Budget, uh, were assuming that it would end. However, you know, of course, uh, it's, uh, it, it, there's a lot of populist Support for it. It clearly it falls on the first dollar of what of of, of what uh, uh, you know, wage owners uh, bring home, and uh, so uh, indeed you'd think it would be the first thing that he would want. But again, he, uh, you know, we're talking about you know major colossal hypocrisy. Uh, just you just have to look at the numbers of the Congressional Budget Office. I keep citing them because they're nonpartisan. They're not. They don't consist of a bunch of libertarians like me. Uh, but they do crunch the numbers and. It's it's very clear uh, that uh, the, the the U.S. Uh, budget debt, the debt of the, of the U.S. government, which is now uh, 70% of gross domestic product, will probably rise to 90%, 100. percent um, This is uh, the this is all will begin to move into unprecedented levels. The only time this happened before was during World War II, but in the post World War II years, the debt uh, fell dramatically. This is going to rise dramatically, and the Congressional Budget Office has it projected to 200% of GDP. And then when they get to 200%, they suddenly give you a lot of asterisks because they refuse to deal with such a situation. That, that situation is ultimately a, a fiscal explosion. Um, and of course, the U.S. government is borrowing at a teaser rate, a very low interest rate right now because of all the conflagration in the world. Uh, how long will that last? At what point uh, will the debt have to be financed at interest rates that are punishingly high? Clearly, uh, we're facing uh, a, a problem. Clearly, we're facing the possible bust of the U.S. economy if we don't do something, if the Ponzi politicians who lead us uh, don't begin to reform their ways. So, Gene, you're predicting, though, that we're going to end up with a bigger deficit. Um, you, you think that, that a lot of these tax cuts will be extended 
yeah. uh, for another six months or so, and the government oh, yes. will continue yes. spending? Well, of course, that's the, that, there's so much confusion in the way this thing is being reported. Uh, the, there, there will indeed be a bigger deficit because uh, they, all the politicians do agree that they have to avoid the fiscal cliff. By the way, it, it's mostly a tax shock, and I would argue the tax shock being the half a trillion jump in taxes uh, that will happen starting in January if nothing is done. Uh, it's been argued uh, that there are these unfortunate uh, uh, tax cuts, uh, spending cuts rather, these unfortunate spending cuts that have been uh, mandated by the Budget Control Act. It's called, it's something that's called um, now, uh, now sequester, sequestering, that uh, a mandated cut in defense and a, and a mandated cut in non-defense expenditures. That that's supposed, that that's even in terms of the numbers, that's relatively minor, that cut, but it is a cut uh, insofar as it goes. But if you actually look at the at the budget of the U.S. government as projected by both Congressional Budget Office and the Office of Management and Budget, spending will increase next year. It will increase because the because entitlements are going to continue to, right. to, to rise. And so, indeed, the entitlements part of the U.S. economy, or U.S. budget rather, is separately very stimulative. If you want to use the classic notion of stimulative, they spend a lot, they take in less, uh, whereas the other part of the budget is less so. So it, so it comes out to a wash. But the point is that what they will have to, if they, if they rescind the spending cuts as well, which they probably will do, then the spending will rise even faster and we will get a wider deficit in the first six months uh, uh, of, the, of this uh, coming year. Now, now, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I believe with the drug addict analogy that the, uh, that the, that the fiscal patient has been so shot through with fiscal heroin, uh, we, uh, he could crash. We, we need withdrawal. We, we could go slower. There are those uh, who might argue politically that's not a way to go, but at least I, I appreciate the argument that economically, if you want to phase out uh, this, uh, uh, this, uh, this deficit spending, then you want to do it more slowly than, than, the, than the fiscal cliff will allow. Uh, the fiscal cliff is such that the, that the closing of the deficit will be perhaps more rapid than the economy can stand, mainly, of course, because the closing of this deficit is essentially a tax shock uh, of a half a trillion dollars, or 2.7% of GDP. And so we postpone the tax shock, hopefully, and then work on the spending cuts. Uh, that's, that's at least what I would like to see. Uh, let's hope something like that happens, but I'm not, I don't have my fingers crossed. Uh, I, uh, I believe that the Ponzi economy is going to continue and that our Ponzi politicians are going to con continue uh, to, to be unable to recognize uh, the risks that we face over the, over the next decade or two. Well, I, I think you're probably right. One of the most discouraging and disheartening uh, aspects, I think, uh, is that, uh, as I think it was Ian McAvity that pointed out uh, recently, that mm -hmm. we're at the stage now when a, about 50% of the people are voting for a living and 50% are working for a living. Yes. And we're also yeah. at that stage where that uh, the entitlements is starting to increase with the baby boomers with the uh, demographics, uh, right. aging population, such that we will definitely have a distinct uh, majority of people who are now voting for a living as opposed to working for a living. And it's hard to see the optimism uh, going forward if you believe in anything, uh, if, you, if you're really a proponent of anything uh, uh, looking like anything 
part of free market capitalism. Of course, we're so yeah. far removed from that already, as you call it, a Ponzi, a Ponzi sure. scheme. Unfortunately, Gene, we're out of time, but I do have to ask you about the next Junto. I know that we normally talk the same week of Junto, but this week, who do you have coming up as your guest? Well, this will be December 6th, Thursday evening, December 6th, uh, and it's a, uh, a guy named Wayne Layton um, who has written a book, uh, an upbeat and inspiring book that partly addresses uh, the pessimistic tone that you and I are both striking uh, about uh, political and economic change. He talks about some of the successes of the past several decades uh, in, for example, in, in, for example, reforming the welfare system. Uh, things that happened that were surprising and that were positive uh, and uh, understanding them better and understanding how be- better to bring them about. Right. Is he a free market advocate? Uh, very much so. He's a professor at, uh, I have difficulty pronouncing the Spanish, at UFM down in Guatemala, Free Market University. Okay. Uh, and so uh, he's a Hayekian. He's a, he's a man after my heart and uh, in terms of his beliefs. And, uh, again, he's studied something, and he's got a relatively upbeat message. Always good to hear uh, that sort of thing. Okay, and the Junto is where again, and what time? Uh, that's, uh, it's, it's 44, uh, it, I'm sorry, 20 West 44th Street in Midtown Manhattan. That's on 44th Street, just west of 5th Avenue, in a big ground floor hall, open to the public, open to all. And it's always the first Thursday of each month. Uh, this time, this will be Thursday evening, December 6th, uh, starting at 7.30 p.m. Thank you very much, Gene, for being with us once again. Uh, we'll have to, of course, have you back again very shortly. Uh, Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeff Deist, and we'll be talking to him, no doubt, about taxes and other matters, including what Ron Paul is planning to do going forward. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Deist. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arrowway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arrowway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arrowway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. 
Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, hopefully, and I'm really glad to have with me Jeff Dice, uh, Ron Paul's chief of staff, uh, with me again. Uh, Jeff is uh, a, f- a personal friend of mine. We've learned to know each other over the years, and um, we share libertarian views. We'd like to see less government, limited government. Uh, that seems to be increasingly a pipe dream these days, and I'm uh, coming across some extremely disturbing things uh, for those of us who have become accustomed or believe in free enterprise, who believe that uh, free markets and freedom is a good thing and that we all do better if we have more freedom rather than less freedom. Uh, so anyway, welcome, Jeff. Really good to have you with me again. Thanks, Jay. Uh, don't know, you might have heard some of what Gene Epstein was talking about at, at Barron's. He wrote on the um, in his column, his weekly column at Barron's, and he talked about the... Uh, the likelihood or, or the fiscal cliff, which would require, would draw in another half a trillion dollars of taxes from people. Do you think, well, what are your comments and what are your thoughts on the fiscal cliff? I mean, it's a, we hear about it a hundred times a day, the word fiscal cliff. Where are we going with this thing? How do you think it's going to shake out? Well, the term is used as sort of a colloquial expression to describe a series of of tax and spending laws that will go into effect in January if Congress doesn't do something between now and then. Mm-hmm. And among those are a bunch of tax increases because back when the Republicans were controlling both houses and had Bush as president, they put 10-year moratoriums into all of their tax cut bills because that made the CBO scoring look better long term. So that was a kind of a, a sneaky thing oh. the GOP is responsible for. In other words, when you, when you cut uh, dividends tax rates, for instance... Just make it permanent, and if, another, if, a, if a future Congress wants to raise or lower them, then that future Congress can do so. Putting in a tax rate and, and putting a 10-year sunset on it is really a bad way to run things. So there's a combination of tax increases that will happen in January. You know, Payroll taxes are going to go up, and the uh, uh, amount of income that's subject to those taxes is going to, is going to no longer be capped. Um, a lot of uh, higher rates on dividends, etc. But there's also a potential... Uh, uh, some spending cuts under this so-called sequestration um, that'll happen 
if Congress doesn't do anything. And, and those cuts, mind you, are, are simply cuts in the rate of growth mm-hmm. of federal spending, not actual cuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I heard Mr. Epstein earlier, here's the sad thing about all of this, Jay, is that basically for the past couple of years, let's say three, four, five years, the federal uh, tax revenue has been stuck right around $2 trillion, maybe a tiny bit more. Mm-hmm. So basically we're being, bringing in about $2 trillion a year, mm-hmm. and, and that's a wide variety of corporate income tax, individual income tax, excise taxes, etc. Yep. And we're spending, we're set to spend in 2013 about $3.8 trillion. <laughs> So that's a whopping difference. And frankly, no matter what you do with the tax code, you can fiddle with it in a million different ways. We're not likely to significantly increase tax revenues, even if you hiked rates quite a bit because you'd be killing the economy. Right. Um, so all we have to do, all we have to do to balance the budget, stop spending more than we bring in, and then make ourselves give ourselves the breathing room to go back and deal with all the $16 trillion we've accumulated. Mm-hmm. All we have to do, Jay, is go back to about the 2002-2003 budget of the U.S. federal government, which was right around 2 to $2.2 trillion. That was okay, huge we could then. have a balanced budget tomorrow simply by saying, hey, look, guys, we're in an economic depression. The government has to scale back to the 2002-2003 levels, which is nothing. We had an enormous federal government then. Uh, but, you know, we can't even do that because the so-called uh, non-discretionary spending on the entitlement side continues to spike. And, you know, the, the Romney-Obama uh, Democrat-Republican Party won't touch so-called defense spending, which is really mostly offense. So it's, it's flabbergasting to think that all we have to do is go back to the budget of 10 years ago and we'd be in balance going forward, but that's the reality. Jeff, how much of that $3.8 trillion in expenditures uh, would you say is military or military-related? Well, uh, it's certainly it's, it's around a trillion, uh, probably a bit more. Some defense spending is hidden in other areas, mm-hmm. um, in State Department spending, in foreign aid, etc. Yeah. Um, and it all comes down to meddling and, and an interventionist mindset that both parties rapidly share. Uh, so, you know, it's it's... But we're quickly approaching the day where, you know, entitlements and interest on the national debt are going to be so high, and the only way to to generate any interest in U.S. debt offerings is going to be to raise interest rates, which will, of course, increase that line item on our budget. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that uh, when all this starts come to tumble down, uh, Americans are going to find themselves being far less hawkish because... Uh, you know, the entitlement mentality is stronger than the rule-the-world mentality. And frankly, all these baby boomers, uh, for all their talk about supporting the troops and yeah. saving the world for democracy, at the end of the day, they're going to want their Medicare and their Social Security a heck of a lot more than they're going to want to, you know, remake Afghanistan. Right. Saving the world for mobocracy might be more like it. Um, so the, the government, though, they have the guns, Jeff. Can't they just... Take it, take as much as they want. It seems to me that's what they're doing. Well, it's a huge problem because you've got the world's reserve currency run by the world's biggest military power. Right. We've never had that before. We've never had a situation where, uh, you know, Jay, call it equivalent to, uh, uh, you know, a personal loan. What if, what if you made a personal loan to a mafia guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said, and, and when you said, well, it's time to pay up, he said, well, I'm not going to pay up, and if you try to, try to get it, I'm going to use physical violence against you. 
Right. So it's a very, very, you know, historically unparalleled situation where the U.S. is this extraordinary debtor, but it's also this extraordinary military power that is clearly willing to use that power. So this is what all of our creditors face, is this daunting question, whether you're the, you know, the Asian central banks or, or uh, just a, a, you know, a lot of uh, American citizens who own U.S. Treasury debt. You know? um, yeah. The question is, how, how am I going to get paid from this you know, uh, huge gorilla of a country? Yeah, it's uh, the gorilla of a country that has the military might to basically just tell you to shut up. But how is that going to break down, though? At some point in time, I've always, you know, you were, I guess, sort of hinting at it that, uh, you know, there may not, there's, I mean, there's going to be a revolution in this country that basically, you know, people are going to say, I'm not going to pay my taxes. But then, I mean, this could be, get really nasty uh, because, you know, if, if the government wants to collect its taxes so it can keep its military-industrial complex moving and going, uh, the people that the power is behind the throne, the people that try to uh, that try to influence votes in Washington, I believe, are the ones that that really run our country. Um, I mean, is this this going to get really nasty? Well, it certainly could. We just don't know how and 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 how long that might take. I mean, the, the frightening thing is the extent to which so many millions upon millions of Americans are dependent mm-hmm. on entitlements, whether that's Social Security and Medicare, or whether that's direct welfare, you know, food stamps, EBT, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, help with housing, etc. cetera. Uh, and, to, you know, once we reach a point where the federal government can no longer service these obligations with anything other than, let's say, highly inflated dollars, um, then you've you know you've created a culture of people who don't save for their future, and even even you know relatively well off people uh, save far less than they should mm-hmm. because of this mindset. Well, I'm going to get three grand a month from Social Security, um, mm-hmm. so go ahead and buy that BMW when you're 45 instead of a Taurus mm-hmm. when you're 45. And of course that has so that gives you less money you know 20 years later. So it's 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 a real tough situation, and I think we're going to find that. Um, you know, older folks are going to have a lot less money than they counted on. It's going to have a lot less buying power. I think we're mm-hmm. going to have uh, generations moving back in together, as which we've already seen with the you know the younger kids, and and that's going to be bad for housing. So it's definitely a perfect storm of entitlements. And uh, you know, the only person who was seriously talking about this in the last election cycle was Ron Paul. Uh, you know, and saying, look, what we have to do is cut back on the foreign spending. Uh, use the difference to paper over, uh, you know, older folks now. So let's say anybody above 55 would still get uh, their Social Security and, and Medicare as promised. Have a transition period for people, let's say, uh, you know, 35 to 55, where they could, uh, you know, opt out or transition out, mm-hmm. and then simply cancel these programs for people 30 and under, uh, so they could start putting away their own money and, and planning their own lives. Yeah. Um, so the, these would be radical proposals, but. They're, uh, all of them, as radical as they are, are, are far less radical than what's going to come if we do nothing. Well, uh, you know, Ron Paul's uh, suggestions are in the opposite direction of what seems to be taking shape, uh, at least if the Obama administration has its way. I'm uh, looking at this whole notion uh, that the, the Obama administration apparently wanted to push for a new national retirement system that would essentially take away our 401ks uh, and nationalize pension funds and savings programs. Do you think this is something that, that Obama is intent on pushing? 
Well, it's certainly not alarmist to think along those lines simply because from the, you know, you've got a federal government that's going to be absolutely ravenous for revenue wherever it can find it. And you're going to have a, you know, huge sums, trillions of dollars in wealth sitting there in, in 401k and pension plans. And yeah. those, those sums are going to be owned by, a, you know, a certain segment of the population and, and a growing segment of the population, maybe 50%, going to have no 401k, no interest in, in, in any of this. And so they're going to say, sure, if, I, if you're going to give me the choice to vote, to plunder, you know, um, these, the, pe- these trillions of dollars in 401ks in a way that's going to benefit me, then, then certainly that's something that's going to be on the table. There's no reason to think that, that the, the liberal mindset wouldn't look at 401ks and say, well, gee whiz, Jay, this is a bunch of richer, older folks, and they've saved this money, but they didn't pay that. You know, it was all tax-free accumulation, yeah. and, and now it's time for them to pay their fair share because, gee, we've got 50% of the country that's much younger, uh, different demographic, and, uh, you know, wants to have uh, entitlements. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, well, certainly it's, it's, uh, it's a sad day for those of us who believe in liberty and free, to, free markets for sure, but uh, Ron Paul... Gave his farewell speech in uh, in Congress. We've only got a couple of minutes left here, Jeff. But uh, tell our listeners what are a couple of the major themes that he hit on, and then tell them how how they might be able to tune in or listen to it online, perhaps Ron's speech or, or read about it. Well, if anybody just wants to come to uh, our website, which is house.gov/paul, they can see this, read the speech text, or uh, watch the YouTube video of it, and certainly, you know, that's a public domain speech. Anyone's welcome to to print it out, send it around, share it to the, with their friends and families, email it, uh, republish it, you know, comment on it. It's it's a great speech, hard hitting, and mostly he just addressed all the things that have happened during his tenure in Congress, and a really hard hitting speech that asks a lot of tough questions. And if you if you got a little sickened by or, or tired of the, the lame, cliched nonsense that you had to endure during the, the Obama and the Romney ads over the last couple of months, this will be a real breath of fresh air for you. Oh, no doubt about it. I, I see that our, the libertarian candidate for president got over a million votes, Jeff. Uh, any solace in that? Well, uh, in 1980, the libertarian candidate got about almost as many votes, or about the same total. And yeah. obviously the, the population was only about 250 million back then, as opposed yeah. to 300 and Five odd million now, so you know we just don't have a parliamentary system in this country, and yeah. I, you know the third parties are, are just—it's an awful tough battle. Yeah, it really is. Well, uh, we we do have Ron Paul to listen to. He's going to be active doing uh, making speeches, I guess, around the country. So Ron isn't going away; he just won't be in Congress anymore, right? Absolutely, you'll see you'll see him out and about and and uh, giving speeches, running his campaign for liberty organization, and. Uh, He's looking forward to, to a new year. Well, uh, for a man that's well into his 70s, uh, he's got the energy level that a lot of us 20 years younger would, would love to have. Jeff, thank you very much for being with us again, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime real soon. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts uh, on today's show and next week's guest. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. 
The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Bravada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I just want to sort of summarize uh, some of the topics we talked about today. Uh, certainly, uh, Jean Martineau of uh, Dynacor provided, uh, I think, some very good, um, a very good story. Dynacor is one of my favorite stocks. I own it personally, and I like it to a great extent. Um, well, because it is growing organically, uh, Jean Martineau is not the kind of guy that tries to uh, he he he's not the kind of guy that's trying to get rich quick he basically uh is is growing uh, the company slowly has grown the company slowly has been very conscious uh with respect to the number of shares outstanding only 35 million shares of stock they earned 8 cents a share this last quarter as Gene suggested they probably should be able to do something very similar to that the next quarter but the growth prospects here from 50,000 ounces they actually predict, predicted 50,000 this year they'll do 60,000 this is typical of, of Gene Martineau under promising over delivering so when he talks about 67,000 ounces next year uh, uh, to 75,000 there's a good chance he'll get closer to 75 than 67 and then on to 100,000 ounces uh, you know a person's track record means a lot and if they do what they say they're going to do and they do that consistently you start to gain confidence it's not to say he couldn't have a slip up somewhere along the line but uh, uh, his word is golden so to speak and uh, a lot of upside the real 
traumatic increase, a real dramatic increase, I should say, that could come from this company is if they find something really large on their Tumipampa Scarn uh, porphyry target. And there are some major, some of the biggest mining companies in the world all around on that same trend. Uh, they've had some good early uh, early results, and we'll be looking forward to uh, to more uh, results in the future. Now, Jean will not be out there to try to prove that he has a multi-billion dollar deposit in six months like a lot of companies will. What he'll do is drill it slowly with cash flow, allocating a certain percentage of it. Uh, otherwise, he'd be blowing through uh, huge numbers of shares like most of the companies out of Canada do uh, in trying to uh, get rich quick. Jean Martineau is an honest, hardworking guy who believes in uh, paying as you, uh, going as you pay or paying as you go. So Jean Martineau, very uh, very keen about uh, Dynacor Gold Mines, a sponsor of this show. Roger Conrad provides us with some optimism as well. Day to day, how do we sort of average people? Uh, how do we make ends meet? Especially those of us that are getting closer to retirement. Where can we find some decent income without taking on so much risk that we risk losing it all? Well, you can't get it in treasuries anymore. That once was a place I remember, 1980. Uh, when my first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage, you could get 10, 12, 14% in U.S. Treasuries. Well, 10 or 12 anyway. And, uh, you know, risk-free, so to speak, at that time, uh, risk-free Treasuries. I'm not suggesting that Treasuries are risk-free going into the future. We listened to Jeff Dice talk about the United States going broke. How will risk-free, how will Treasuries be risk-free if the United States goes broke? But in any event, Roger Conrad provided, I thought, some very great ideas about uh, you know, about some of the ways that you can earn, you know, six, seven, eight percent, ten percent, uh, on solid companies now that are producing, uh, must have products like energy and, uh, electricity and so forth. So, uh, Roger Conrad, I think, is, is brilliant. He's had a great track record. Very, also very much worth listening to and worth considering subscribing to his newsletter. Gene Epstein always uh, has a lot of good libertarian ideas, and I thought his last uh, his last column that he uh, put out in in Barrons was was uh, very very good uh, in terms of where we're heading uh, with respect to the fiscal cliff and where we could be uh, where we could be going. And it is not it is not a very pretty picture to be sure. Uh, I think one thing uh, we can be pretty sure of is that the politicians will continue to delay the day of reckoning as long as they can. They'll try to keep the party going. Uh, the punch bowl will continue to come out for Mr. Bernanke. Uh, and, uh, but I also think that, uh, you know, that uh, the article in uh, the Financial Times uh, yesterday that uh, this guy's warning about uh, people out of fear are getting poor slowly. He says he'd just like to dump a bucket of cold water on people and wake them up. Waking them up is what Ron Paul's been doing, and we heard from, uh, we've heard from uh, Jeff Dice, my good friend here, talking about Ron's plans, his farewell speech to Congress. I hope that you'll be able to, to go to uh, HouseGov uh, slash Paul and listen to Ron Paul's speech or find it somewhere. I would have guessed that sometime we'll be playing that speech on this radio show. I'm not sure exactly when, probably when I make a trip out of town, and uh, and that will be something I'll do in the near future. Ron Paul, I think, is certainly worth uh, paying attention to, and we'll be hearing more from Ron Paul, no doubt about that, going forward. Um, just a, a real wonderful uh, human being, in my view, and one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. Well, that, we are out of time. 
Uh, next week, my guest is going to be Luke, Lou Rockwell, who is a very strong uh, supporter of Ron Paul, uh, the Mises Institute. He heads up the Mises Institute. We'll be talking to Lou Rockwell about his views on the economy. In closing, I want to thank Tacey Trump and Matt Wiedemer. Uh, he's my engineer, Tracy Tump, my executive producer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, good. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.